재미와 지식의 오디오 라이프 팝빵 Genetically modified foods in which the DNA of crops are altered in a way that doesn't occur by the means of natural recombination have been developed to increase yields, resist pathogens, as well as boost the nutritional content of these foods. There is a general scientific agreement that genetically modified crops are not inherently dangerous to human health. Uh, There have been though ongoing public concerns as to uh, those reports. But to help us understand the issue better, we're very pleased to have joining us from the School of Agriculture, Policy and Development at the University of Reading, Professor Jim Dunwell. Hello. Hello there. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. We know what the scientists say. The the consensus seems to be that it is safe to eat. Uh, What is your overall take on this as far as the uh, idea that genetic, genetically modified crops still need to be scrutinized, um, tested on a case-by-case basis to determine whether it's fit for human consumption? I think that's, that's an accurate description that, yes, all GM products, novel products that are being um, tested for, for approval, for release, for commercialization, they all have to go through this case-by-case testing procedure, and that will carry on and is carrying on in countries around the world. So there's no blanket uh, consensus that they should be released and grown without any, any prior uh, investigation. So, yes, they, they need to be tested, and that testing usually involves an analysis of their chemical composition, which is compared with the non-GM equivalent, and also in some cases it involves... Um, the use of those crops in feeding trials for, for animals, again, to confirm that there's no nutritional difference. So, so that's done in a very detailed way for many years before release. And as we've been saying how there is this scientific consensus on the general safety of genetically modified crops, um, has there been enough long-term studies shown? Because obviously there still is a very skeptical public out there, mainly in the developed world, but... Uh, has there been, I suppose, a definitive study shown that in terms of long-term human health, that the consumption of these foods is not uh, harmful? Okay, it's a bit of a difficult one to address directly because uh, you can't experiment directly on humans in a controlled environment. Right. Um, you, you do have the evidence from really 30 years of, of feeding um, and that these meals, there's probably been trillions of meals consumed over the last 30 years since the beginning of of the release of GM crops. And there's no proven evidence, either feeding to humans or feeding to animals, of of any uh, problems related to the consumption of GM products. You have to remember that the amount of new protein, new ingredient in any foodstuff in a GM one is, is very, very small. You're dealing with food that naturally contains thousands, tens of thousands of different elements, nutrition, nutritional elements, proteins. So you're only adding or changing a very small proportion of the total amount. So as I said, I don't think there's any substantiated problem for human health or animals linked to the consumption of GM food for the last 30 years. And I think that that's long term. Right. Uh, the other concern that I hope you could address by some uh, people about the potential environmental Impact, and I, I guess this is a layperson's way of putting it. But if these uh, rogue altered genes spread out into the wild, what kind of uh, damage it would um, uh, wreak? Can you address those concerns? 
Okay, I mean, it's an important problem, sorry, important topic, really. Um, and it is addressed in all the regulatory uh, groups who look at these these kinds of products. It's always re received a lot of attention. And I think the conclusion is that really f from all the years and years of evidence, there's, there's no ex experiment or there's, there's no evidence being presented where the GMO, the, the genetically modified crop, would transmit its genes into the wild populations in any frequency that's different from the non-GM equivalent because I think we have to remember that some crops, uh, pollen does spread to wild relatives uh, but it spreads whether the crop is a GM one or not and likewise in some cases genes can spread back from the wild relative into the crop so it is a dynamic um, event, it occurs at very very low frequencies but it doesn't occur any more frequently in a GM version than a non-GM but it has to be taken into account and and there are a few examples that I know of where uh, breeders have stopped the development of, of a potential GM product because they know that the, that the pollen transfer to the wild relative may occur at a higher frequency. And for example, in weed resistance, that's something you don't want a weed-resistant trait right. transferring into the, into the weedy relative because that would bring farmers greater problems rather than reducing them. It when you um, talk to skeptical people in regards to this issue with GMOs um, and people say labeling should be mandatory, I, I, I know that there is a psychological element too, and maybe this is out of your purview, where anything that is deemed to be some, somewhat unnatural, uh, genetically modified, certainly instills a level of fear. How, how do you address um, a public and convince people that this is indeed the better way to go, or at least uh, a more effective way to go if we talk about some of the, the actual benefits of uh, GMOs? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky issue, this. Um, it reminds me initially, sort of many years ago in the UK, because there was a, a GM product on the supermarket shelves for a few years, probably back in the mid-90s, and that was a tomato puree, mm. and that was labelled um, on the cans, and it was labelled the product of genetically modified, modified crops. And at that time, supermarkets had a kind of neutral view, and they supplied information to the consumer, and, and it was considered helpful. And I'm, I mean, I'm all in favour of that. As you say, since then, there's been the sort of psychology of labelling, and whether it's a deterrent or not. But I think, on balance, I'd probably favour labelling, if only because then consumers can see. Um, and even though it's a sort of marginal sort of effect, then at least they they, they have that choice. And, and if you look now in the UK supermarkets, we still do import a few products from the US, um, sort of confectionery products and a few other things. And they are labelled and they're sold in, you know, in, in the top ranking supermarkets in the UK now as we speak. So it doesn't seem to deter the consumer, mm. but it does provide that reassurance that you know, it is labelled for those people who want labelling. And if we can address then some of the potential benefits, uh, I mentioned it briefly, but you could help us understand this in more detail. How have uh, genetically modified crops helped farmers and uh, what potential benefits do they have to alleviate world hunger? Okay, if we look back over the last 20 years or so, then I think, as you probably know, the two big commercial successes that farmers have taken up uh, particularly in North and South America, are crops that allow farmers to protect themselves, protect their crops rather more efficiently from from the pressures of, of weeds and insects. And 
although the farmers pay a bit more for those GM seeds, in a sense, it's, you can look at it a bit like an insurance policy, and it makes their life and their agronomy and keeping their, their farm going easier to predict under non-optimum conditions. So that's why commercially it's been such a success. And, and in the, I suppose in the U.S., now for soya and for some other crops, more than 90% of the crops are GM. Mm. Not the same in Europe, but um, it has been a commercial success in those countries. And the question about the contribution to to going forward and, and alleviating world hunger, um, I think it's a component of the future. I mean, I think we need to adopt the best science practices and we need to adopt the best farming practices for the future because we, there's no doubt the population is growing and it'll go on growing for a few more decades before hopefully it stabilizes. So I think we have to use the technologies that we've got, not just GM, but you know we have to help food storage, we have to right. help people in developed countries in other ways, but it, it's a component of the future, yes. We're going to have to leave it there, Professor, but thank okay. you once again for joining us. Really appreciate your time. That's all right. Glad to help. Professor Jim Dunwell from the University of Reading. Seoul City News up next.